my name is Claire Lewins and I'm director of the film The Wonderful Stories from the Space Station. Throughout all history, humankind has had only one place to call home, our planet Earth. This year, men and women from 16 countries will actually set sail on an uncharted sea of limitless mystery and unlimited potential. What the space station provides is our chance to become a spacefaring civilization. You know, you think, oh, that guy's an astronaut. He must have been the smartest kid in the class. That was not me. Like all boys, we looked at the sky, we read books, especially about cosmic I applied to be an astronaut for a course of 10 years before I was selected. Peggy Woodson rocketing towards the International Space Station. How does it be to be on your own? There's billions of people on the planet, and there's only six of us right now that are not. It was tough to be separated from the family. Hanging around on the edge of the world. Everybody wanted to know about the risk. Finally, no one. You're trusting the engineers who designed and built that spacecraft. Everything's got to work if you're going to survive. How's it going? Well, Frank, we're not having a very good day down here on Earth. Would you help me? It's difficult to describe how it feels to be the only American off the planet at a time such as this. It's my planet. I want to protect it. You feel like the sentinels that are guarding the Earth. Seeing the planet without borders, you see we're all part of the same team, Team Earth. If we're gonna go to the moon, if we're gonna go to Mars, the only way to do that is to do it together. As the rocket goes higher up into the sky, there's this burst of light. It's amazing to think that that pinpoint of light is someone that you love. That is a trailer from the documentary, The Wonderful, Stories from the Space Station. And this is Factual America. We're brought to you by Alamo Pictures, an Austin and London-based production company making documentaries about America for international audiences. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Welcome to the third season of Factual America. If you don't know the drill already, each week I watch a hit documentary and then talk with the filmmakers and their subjects. This week we're in for a real treat as we hear about what it's like to live and work hurling through space 250 miles above the Earth's surface. Joining us to discuss her film about the International Space Station is Claire Lewins, acclaimed director of The, Wonderf of the Wonderful, Stories from the Space Station. Claire, welcome to Factual America. How are things with you? Things are very good with me, and thank you and your audience for showing an interest in our film. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure. Uh, the film is the, the Wonderful Stories from the Space Station, uh, released earlier this month, September 2021. Uh, it can be found on all 
digital platforms. Um, Claire, I mean, give our audience a little taste of uh, what what is the wonderful all about? Maybe a little synopsis. Well, that's quite <laughs> that's quite a hard question. Um, well, basically, if I just take you back a little bit. Um, the idea of making a film about the space station, yeah. uh, George Tignall, the producer of the film, she said, "Why? Well, let's meet up for lunch. You know, I've, mm. I've had this idea or an idea brought to me. And she said, I won't tell you what it's about till we have lunch. And then when she told me, I thought, oh, no, this isn't for me because I'm not good with science or or engineering. And um, But then when I started looking into it, I realised that it's, it's really fascinating about all the human connections how many people it takes to get someone into space mm. and so the film really became about um man's humanity all played out against this vast backdrop of the universe well that's i mean that's very interesting i mean this um i mean a lot of things struck me about this film um and uh, you know it, it's this idea of of uh, this first of all I, I would be remiss in saying that uh, if not mentioning that this is the 58th anniversary of John F. Kennedy's uh, UN address, where he basically proposed the original idea of cooperation between countries, uh, in that case, the U.S. and Soviet Union, uh, to cooperate on on uh, space exploration. So that was quite uh, that was quite revealing. Uh, I found. Yes, I hadn't actually realised that. Um... When I was looking at the people to interview, I wanted to interview George Abbey mm. because he is such, you know, he, 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 there's a book written about him called The Astronaut Maker. He, you know, he's been across so much space exploration. Mm. Um, and when I was talking to him, he, he actually said, you know, with, with JFK, um, it was always his plan to, to, to go together into space with the Russians. And he'd written a letter to Congress. And I, and I thought that was absolutely fascinating. So I, that was kind of, how I sort of started the film, really. So the, the, the other thing is, that strikes me, uh, Claire, is that uh, this international cooperation has outlived presidents, regimes, current events, 9-11. We've had Washington and the Kremlin at odds. Yet this just carries on and has been for, uh, for, for several decades now. Is, is that right? Well, I think one of the things that struck me was the actual amazing level of international collaboration obviously maybe at a higher level you get issues but when someone like uh, ginger kerrick says when she was working in russia you know in kazakhstan um says that you know if somebody hadn't told her about the space race she wouldn't have known about it because if you think about it those all of the cosmonauts, astronauts, they, they rely on each other. I mean, mm. if they're in space and there's arguments and things, that, you know, you, your life depends on your colleagues. So the, the actual collaboration is certainly very strong. Mm. And I, I mean, I hadn't, hadn't thought of this, but, uh, you know, we don't see any signs of, of strife or falling out of the space station. Do any, uh, I mean, in doing your interviews, did I mean, it seems like, uh, it, what we see is what we get. Is that right? I mean, in terms of, uh, it's amazing this this level of collaboration, both on the individual level and the uh, international level. I think there must be tensions, of course. I mean, if you put humans into space or put humans into a lift or yeah. put humans in a cave, there's going to be personalities and, and, and tensions arise. Nothing to do with the international yeah. side of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing. I, I mean, I would be awful in space. I would just... 
<laughs> it wouldn't suit me at all, you know. I'd have to be sort of knocked out probably. Um, <laughs> because, but, but what, I want to talk to Samantha Christopheretti about what mm. makes a good yes. astronaut. And yeah. it's, it's, it's not to be extreme, really. You have yeah. to, you obviously have to have all the skills and be intelligent and everything else. But in personality terms, you can't be too much of anything. You can't be too introverted. You can't be too extrovert. You just kind of, kind of keep calm. So um, they're trained so well that, but I'm sure there are, you know, there would be, mm. you know, if somebody's taking your toothpaste, you're going to still feel annoyed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or your, uh, whatever, your, uh, your, your, your packet of food that you get to eat or your favorite uh, lunch that had been prepared or whatever. I think, uh, I mean, the other thing that struck me is I was talking to some other, some people about this as I was, after I'd seen the film is that it seems like this is unfortunately no longer newsworthy. I mean, in the sense that we have, you know, this this thing, this the space station flies over our head every ninety minutes or so. Uh, we can see it with the naked eye. I now realize I probably have seen it. It wasn't a UFO, um, you know. You, we, but we carry on as usual. It's it's not. Um, and back to your point about the asteroids. I mean, shouldn't these people be? They should be heroes. They should be household names. But we don't. Uh, for most of us, we don't know who they are. No, that's true. I mean, even when I first started approaching the film, I, I hadn't really given, I mean, this is a terrible thing to say, but I hadn't really given it much thought. You know, I know yeah. about Apollo 11, Apollo right. 13, and Gagarin, and, but I hadn't really, and it's the fact that when I found out that there were, while all, the, you know, 7.5 billion of us are doing our everyday, going about our everyday lives, there's six people off the planet. I just thought that was just extraordinary. So that's what really hooked me into it, to, mm. to think, well, that is quite an unusual thing to be going on. Um, and the fact, as you say, that we've taken it sort of in a way for granted, it's become part of our everyday. Um, they wouldn't want to see themselves as heroes. They take their role extremely seriously, um, space exploration and sort of using the space station, really, as a revolving laboratory, but trying to find out if humans can go further. That's what it's mm. seems to be the key of it. I mean, as you've, you've pointed out, uh, you've mentioned a few things they have in common. What are some of the, in, in, in interviewing them and getting to know them, I mean, what did you discover that you didn't know before in terms of sharing common traits? Um, I guess, you know, personalities, or maybe they're very unique. Maybe there's quite a diversity of personalities, I, I imagine. Uh, they're just like the rest of us in that way. Well, what I, what I thought I'd find was that they were much cleverer than us. Uh, sorry, I, I, I say about myself, you might be <laughs> super clever. Um, uh, certainly braver than me. Um, and that is the case. They are very brainy. Yeah. But what I hadn't thought about or, or, or actually occurred to me was they were incredibly persistent people, that people just keep trying. You know, like Peggy, I think, Peggy Whitson got knocked back 10 times by NASA and she just was that farm as stubborn as she calls it right. kept going and it's this sort of resilience and determination to keep going that i kind of found quite moving really yeah i think that was a commonality at least the people we uh, most of the people that uh, feature most of the astronauts and cosmonauts that feature in this film is that they they did try many years some of them I think 10 years feels like almost the, the average in terms of trying to knock on doors and keep applying and keep persistently uh, uh, pursuing this. Um, and I like, uh, what is the, uh, the is it Scott uh, Kelly? Is that? 
who, uh, yeah, who, um, I mean, his story is very interesting too, uh, where he was in terms of uh, almost dropping out of college, basically, and he and his twin brother. I mean, that is another story of sort of resilience and stick to if you will. Yes. I mean, Scott Kelly is the first to admit that he was completely distracted at school. You know, he'd be looking, he's staring out the window and one day he'd be sort of staring out the window and he'd think, oh, I go home on my skateboard and then it was a bike and then it was a car and then it was a plane and then it was a rocket. You know, he's mm. constantly imagining speed and doing different things. Yeah. And um, I think, uh, I mean, I guess, uh, I guess the other thing is that, um, um, what struck me another thing that's that I mean, if they're they're of a certain age, whereas you've already mentioned the, the Apollo missions, but they all seem to have been inspired by Apollo or Soyuz in the case of the of of the Russians. Um, um, and the other thing that struck me is they all seem to have grown up, many of them at least, where they could see the stars. You know, they all talk about being able to rural Iowa or that or the in Alpine Italy or uh, or West Sussex, if you will, uh, and being able to see the night sky, which was something that was really uh, impressed them growing up. I think so. The, the one exception to that, of course, is Koichi Wakata, who really right. didn't have any Japanese uh, role models in the sense of space mm. expert follow. So, I mean, he was just brilliant, the way he just sort of thought, right, I'm going up into space, you know. Um but the others, it's, it's true, you know, Peggy, in a way, a bit like, um, I always think of her as like the Ruby Slippers, you know, uh, the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. She's in the middle of this rural community, just staring up at the sky and just thinks, well, I'm going to I'm going to go up there. And the same with Samantha looking at the night sky, um, which I always find extraordinary because I love looking at the night sky, but it has never occurred to me once in my life to leave the planet. And that's a <laughs> real different mindset to have the... <laughs> courage to do that i mean i i just wondered too do we think maybe light pollution's making us less interested in space i mean you have some amazing footage and imagery but we we no longer look to the stars and light pollution i mean even the lights from our our mobile phones and devices and things well i don't think it makes us less interested in space if you look at you know spacex and what's going on now people yeah. are still it, it's it's a fundamental part of human's dna i think to want to explore to want to push the boundaries you know if you think of the vikings looking at the night skies when they're going along in their ships and they're navigating by the stars or the aborigines it's just you know and you go inside caves and you find drawings of sort of planets and constellations i think it's something that's it fundamental to us i don't think the light pollution is going to stop that Okay. Well, hope hope not. Um, and uh, I think it's it's again one of these films. I think that could uh, besides Apollo and then subsequent missions in the space station. I mean, I think uh, this is something that uh, your film is as well could can inspire future generations to 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 carry on and and do like these uh, astronauts and and cosmonauts. Um, I think we're going to give our listeners a, an early break, and then we'll uh, we'll be right back with. Uh, Claire Lewins, director of The Wonderful Stories from the Space Station. Released earlier this month, September 2021, on digital platforms. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back 
to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm with acclaimed director Claire Lewins, um, who's just uh, brought to, just released the wonderful stories from the space station, uh, released this month, September 2021, on digital platforms. I think it's on limited uh, theatrical release in the U.S. for our U.S. listeners, which there are many. Um, I mean, we've we've talked. We're as rightfully so. The focus is on these. Uh, the, the astronauts and cosmonauts of these programs, the uh, NASA, European Space uh, Agency, um, certainly Roscosmos. Cosmos. Um, I mean, what is? I mean, what is your feel? I mean, you, you've. Um, what is it like to be up there in space? What is? What is? Uh, I mean, your film shows that brilliantly. But uh, for our listeners, as they haven't had a chance to see the film, I mean, it's uh, uh, the usual questions. It's just. You have to get on with the day to day of life while you're doing um, doing all these experiments and stuff. Is that you know what what is it like up there? Well, I I can only sort of comment on that secondhand, of course, because the astronauts say it better than me because they've been there. But um, from what I gather, um, first of all, they really really want to be in space. I mean, it's mm. they. I mean, someone like Peggy who got the uh, nickname Space Ninja. Right. I mean, she loves it. She cannot, in fact, she's, she reached her radiation levels, as she says at the end of my film, um, uh, but she's going up again. She will be going up again with a private mm. So she just loves it. And the, the idea that you can float through space when you see Koichi Wakata, you know, yeah. sort of poetically sort of doing little acrobatic somersaults um, and he's playing <laughs> baseball with himself yeah, because yeah. he catch the ball and everything. I think the floating side of it, they love. They're obviously, se- a lot of them very serious scientists and mm. engineers who've got a, quite a strict regime of things they have to do in the day. I think yeah. it's called, I mean, Scott Kelly said it's like, ch- it's called chasing the blue line. You know, it, mission control on the ground, they've got they've got to do it every single second is accounted for. They've got this, you know, little Amazing. rest of time, exercise and so, um, and I think when he came back after a year in space, he found it quite difficult just to have nothing to do. Because <laughs> <laughs> so really he had, he kept thinking, but, but what am I to do for this next hour? I just yeah. you know, sit on my sofa. Um, so it's quite regimented. But within that, the thing they all talk about is that they love looking in the copper and looking back on Earth. And because um, mm. in the early days, uh, I think I'm right in saying Expedition One with. Um, Bill Shepard yeah. and uh, Yuri Gagarin, I'm talking about Gagarin, sorry, Yuri and Krikalev, uh, they didn't have that observation window. Oh, so interesting. They, were they didn't have that perspective on space. I mean, there's that, again, I will talk more about it in a, in a little bit, but the, the footage and everything is just absolutely amazing that uh, we, we get and, and see and what it must be like up there. I mean, as, they, as you've already said, one thing they, I think they stressed was how you know, we're used to seeing things on Earth with the air filtering things, and things are so much brighter and clearer when you're out out of the uh, atmosphere. Um, and I think that is, um, uh, again, it's like it's almost um, well, surreal is the wrong word, but it's almost you know just that's something else. I think they also mention they talk about they talk about the beauty. And the other thing that was quite important to me in the film is about sound because you know. When I asked Tim Peake to describe what it was like to go on a spacewalk, yeah. it, and I said, describe it, you know, viscerally, and he was saying, you know, you, 
when you go into that air pre pressure lock, you can't hear anything. You can bang your helmet and you won't hear anything. Mm. And then when you go out, finally step out, which would be terrifying, uh, yeah. I would um, you can hear the whir of your uh, Fan. You know, breathing equipment, but nothing yeah. else. Um, and so that's why each story in the film is introduced by sound. So with Tim Peake, it's the sound of the ocean, you know, where he grew up uh, in, in West Sussex. With Samantha Cristoforetti, it's the sound of her boots on the snow, you know, again, where she grew up. So, and Peggy, it's the sound of a little fly going over the, the crops. So each because I want to show how important sound is and that, and, and also trying to show the beauty of the earth, really. Well, you, you, you raised that, and there was a question I was going to ask you later, because it's obviously, it does come across that sound plays a very active role in telling this story, um, including a, what I found a very, very amazing soundtrack, actually. Um, and uh, does this go, I mean, you had a... Um, I think you were a producer on a on a film uh, about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that won an outstanding mu uh, music Emmy. So is that something that when, that you bring to your filmmaking that you're very? I mean, sound we know is one of the three pillars of of film, but uh, is this something that's really important to you when you're when you're making a movie? It, it is actually. I mean, music is my passion, and I. Somebody the other day said, "Oh, you're, I always know it's one of your films because of the music," um, and I think. If you can understand music, well, actually, if you can feel music, you can feel emotion. And if you can feel emotion, you can get what I'm trying to do with the story. Um, and I was very, very lucky. We had, we worked with Ben Foster, this composer who's brilliant. Mm. And so we'd worked together. And I'd sort of say, oh, I don't want this scene with Samantha to be like this. or blah, blah, blah. And he would compose around it. And we took one of the, the, the piece of music I love was Tchaikovsky, Hymn to the Cherubim. That's the bit when Katie mm. Coleman uh, takes off in Russia with mm. her family, leaving her family. Um, and it's this amazing sort of biblical, powerful piece of music. And we use that as the sort of theme and we sort of, um, Ben sort of composed into that. Mm. And then on top of that, of course, I love having songs that are relevant to the people like I really felt Scott Kelly when he went up in the shuttle he needed something sort of 70s hard hitting you know like Mr Blue Sky ELO and um, yeah yeah and also Nick Cave wrote this fantastic song called Bright Horses which spoke to when Samantha said she saw the horses in the, yep. the Russian plains with their manes on fire and I just thought that would be brilliant so there's songs in there um and also what you were saying about everyday things the beginning of Ken Bowersox's story, he's actually, mm. before he hears of the tragedy, um, he's actually hoovering up. Ho they do Saturday to do their cleaning. And that makes me laugh to think that on Saturday, everybody's doing their cleaning, <laughs> even if you're in space. Yeah. And for yeah. that particular scene, we use Moon River when he was driving along, thinking about how he got into space. And then when they're doing the hoovering, the editor, who's fantastic, my editor, Reg Wrench, he... Um, did, knocked it back as if it was through a radio in space, you know, Moon River. Yeah, but, you know, so music is very important to me. No, I think it's a, uh, it's, it's again, it's, uh, um, and what I liked about it was, you know, sometimes music can just. Some people are a bit bashful about music in a film, I think, and it's just sort of there in the background. And I, but I think this is, uh, it, it has those elements, but there's certainly it's, it's right there. It feels like another character in the, uh, in the film. Um, the, um, but you were, you've just mentioned something about, um, um, the families and stuff. And, and what is, I mean, if we 
talk a little bit more about the the life and what this all means for the those involved uh, I mean you've already mentioned all the people that have to work together in order to to make this happen but uh, what about the strains on the families you have some interest and, and you also have some great uh, um, uh, segments there about um, different well the families and uh, the relationships and how this works and uh, some great powerful uh, women stories in here as well um, so uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that if you don't mind well, I think it's it's the same thing, you know, as I said before, that to get an astronaut into space, there's a whole chain of people behind, whether it's people yeah. in NASA or Roscomos. But there's also the, the, the families who allow them to go up there, really, because uh, yeah. they support them. And in Katie Coleman's case, yeah. um, we had a chat and she and I said, can I involve your family in this film? And actually show the from their perspective what it's like with her husband the glass blower the artist um josh simpson and, and her son jamie and she was she said well nobody ever asked for that so she she was very happy to do that um and it's very interesting you know when he speaks so eloquently about when she takes off and you suddenly realize that that flash of white light is actually someone you love mm. i mean that's quite profound um but it's the same you know with with it's it's not just Katie having to say goodbye to her child. It's you know Tim Peake saying goodbye to his children, or Scott yeah. Kelly saying goodbye to his his family. It, it's it is a pressure on them, of course. And they're gone for so long, some six months, sometimes up to a year. In in Scott's case, certainly. Um, and I think I think well, as you said, the that bright light. But as uh, I think it was either Scott or one of the other ones said, you basically you're sitting on the equivalent of a bomb that goes off to get you uh, into space. And I think, yeah, and uh, and then also, I mean, it also captures a lot of other things like the uh, difference in cultures, U.S. versus Russia, which was very interesting. And uh, I have some experiences with Russia, so I, I, I do appreciate that. That was. Uh, <laughs> Very typical, at least from my own experiences. So, um, um, and like you said, it's it's a very wide ranging, amazing project. I mean, um, how much longer is it going to be going? Because I think I imagine these things have a have a life. Uh, this, some of this equipment's now getting to be relatively dated, though. I guess they can change it in and out if as need be. I, I don't know te technically exactly because I think it was meant to have been, you know dissembled as it were about two years ago but it, it it's still going um ever so often they have to sort of it just gravity brings it down and they have to sort of push it up with with, with an, yeah. Was, yeah just to keep it keep it above the, the right level but um i mean it can't go on indefinitely but it it, it seems to be working at the moment hmm. and um uh well what i was last thing i'll say on that is that uh, what i discovered is you can get on to Onto, I think it's NASA. There's, I just do a search for it. But you can, wherever you live in the world, can put your location, and you can find out how to uh, see this the uh, space station fly overhead. So um, I know the times, at least where I live in England, where when it's going to be visible, and we've got a clear day today, so I might be able to see it tonight. Um, so uh, I would, I don't know, I don't know if you've done that, uh, Claire, but I highly recommend our listeners that. Uh, Find out where you live and, you know, put your location in and see when you might actually see the space station flying overhead. You can actually, actually see it. No, I think it, it's it's fantastic when you do work that out. Um, and then in, in the film, um, 
one of the most moving scenes for me is Josh Simpson and his son Jamie just watching their their wife, yeah. his wife and her mum fly over. You know, so um, they used to go out and watch it fly over. They worked out where she'd be. Um, well, and then the very, very poignant discussions and scenes about 9-11, which we've just obviously had the 20th anniversary and uh, mm. hadn't realized that, you know, they flew over uh, Manhattan regularly over that, that day and caught the, the a lot of thing, the, uh, the the World Trade Center's uh, collapsing and the plumes of smoke and, and, and debris and stuff. So uh, it's all very, um, very poignant. Um, uh, Let's, I mean, if you don't mind, if we talk a little bit about the film, I mean, uh, so you've already mentioned how you got involved, um, yes. but um, how did you, I mean, how, was this a close collaboration with uh, NASA and the different uh, agencies involved? Uh, you get all these amazing astronauts and cosmonauts on camera and, uh, and some amazing footage that I take has to come from, from, the, uh, from the agencies themselves. I mean, I'd say to start with, um, you know, we had to try, um, our main aim was to, well, if I take it back from there, to to make a film about the, the space station, for me, narratively was quite tricky because it's over a period of 20 years. It hasn't yeah. got <clears throat> that sort of, line, you know, that easy narrative of, say, Apollo 11 or Apollo 13, just if people want to go up to the moon and come back or whatever. Yeah. It's sort of 20 years, lots of different nationalities, lots of different people could be in the film. And I had to find a way of getting into that story, really, yeah. uh, and picking certain people. And I, I have to say, I struggled with it to start with because I couldn't see a way into the film. Mm. And then I, but going back to why it's called The Wonderful, I was reading um, uh, the author, Joseph Conrad, talking about ancient sailors when they go off in you know they leave in ships they don't know where they're going to come back safely and he said they were going to an in in a beat an impulse in the blood to dream of the future and they were wonderful and it has to be said they were ready for the wonderful oh, and I wow. said, this this is the film really this is yeah. it it's actually people that would do that and so then i thought i can't do this linear story I'm going to have to do it as if they're little satellites that bump up against the space station. So you think these stories aren't connected. You know, what on earth has 9-11 got to do with this? Mm. But then if you see, you know, for instance, Expedition 1 was an obvious story to start with because that's the yeah. objective of the space station. Yes. You see um, George Abbey stroking the, you know, the arm of um, Bill Shepard um, in the, in the archive. And so in, if you look in the archive, they are all linked. You know, Scott Kelly's helping Samantha or um, Tim Peake's being pushed out into the, by Volkov, who we had earlier. Uh, mm -hmm. So they, they are kind of, they do tie up. Not in interviews, I didn't want that, but in archives. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think it was, going back to your original thing of collaboration, I, I sort of researched it and tried to find out mm. the sort of people I wanted and then we just had to go and ask them um yeah. and it you know it, some it worked in some cases better than others finally yeah. we got all the people we wanted actually yeah and, and NASA was you know once once we were on board with NASA they let us have their <coughs> archive which is brilliant and they've got some fantastic mm. people mm. working on the archive department so we were very lucky with that and Roscomos and so we we and JAXA and ESA we had the support of all of them mm. Yeah, oh. I think it's amazing because again, this. Uh, I mean, um, I haven't had the chance yet, but I definitely want to show this uh, film to my 
my sons and, and daughter who are very interested in science and space and stuff. And I think it's, uh, uh, <clears throat> again, I think it's back to this, uh, at least I have to say for myself and my own family and many I know, uh, it's just one of these things that's happening above our head that we just never really think about. And yet it's quite amazing uh, what they're doing and what they're achieving and uh, and uh, what is captured with the uh, that fo- I mean some of that footage almost looks like can that really be real you know some of it but it's 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 absolutely amazing um, it is all real I, I I agree with you you think is that CGI <laughs> I, I did think that a few times I was like no no I think that's actually but it, I didn't want any CGI in it so there isn't I mean I did to make so it wasn't just uh, archive and interviews. I also did some reconstruction scenes, sort of led into yeah. things like, you know, the Russian boy looking in the, the cos- a young cosmonaut, as it were, looking in the mirror in his mm-hmm. red jumper, and then he he you know he dreams of becoming a cosmonaut, and um, the same you know with Peggy's situation as a young child being inspired by the moon landings, and we we tried to do some you know nice reconstruction really that would lead into the story well i think it i think it works i think it's it was uh i as being of a certain age myself i feel like you captured those some of those childhood periods quite well because uh, as we mentioned a lot of them were inspired uh, i mean i'm not quite that uh quite can't remember uh, uh well at least the early apollo missions but certainly the sort of the 60s and 70s and what it was like and uh what i imagine what it was like i would know what exactly what it was like for russians or soviets at the time but uh, no i think it's very uh um it's very poignant these 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 dreams that people had i think that conrad quote is an excellent one i think we should uh i'm going to say we include that in the show notes because i think that's uh that really is um I'll kind send of, it to you because it was when I read it, I had like hairs on my arms, you know, because I thought yeah. this is kind of the film, really. And it's it was the fact that it's people moving to an in, impulse in the blood, you know, to a dream of the future. It's like they can't help but go out in those ships. And it's, I feel that's the same with the astronauts. They just yeah. take it very seriously, their role yeah. in sort of space exploration and what they're doing. And if you don't mind, let's, because uh, I, I hate to say, I think we're coming up uh, against our time right now with, with you. It's uh, But I um, just want to talk a little bit about uh, your career. And uh, I mean, are, are you, uh, how long have you been doing documentary films? Or is that a loaded question to ask? No, no. <laughs> I'm like Zaza Gabor. I'm going to lie about my age. Uh, well, I didn't know that. But, um, well, it's, it's a funny, when people say, talk about your career, I mean, it's just like, uh, it's tricky because I've never ever planned anything in my life. I've never had a plan or anything. I haven't even got a diary. I shouldn't say that to the producer because it drives them out, but I haven't actually got a diary. I sort of, I have got a good memory, luckily. Um, yeah. But I sort of got into filming, really. Um, my father's a photographer. We, I grew up in a house, I just loved films. Yeah. Um, you know, not, not sort of fancy, fancy arty films, but just films. And... I then went to university and as part of my degree, I got a scholarship or I should say, I could, you know, to go to an American university, but I had to pick something that I couldn't do in my university. So I chose film. Mm. And so I sort of studied film, but I was a bit shy. I had the vision for films, but I was a bit shy. I didn't like, I did not like being the center of attention or anything, you know, because as a director, people look to you for decisions and things. So I sort of mooching about, 
uh, and I worked for a film production company making commercials and things and worked with a fantastic cameraman who was actually years later has done the sort of the Ali film and this one and mm. Corrie actually, and this space film. Um, and then I suddenly thought, oh, I want to make documentaries. There's, and I knew my bank manager said, but there's no money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why are you going? Why are you going from quite a good income to no income? And I said, because I just want to make stories about real people, really. And that's mm. when I started. I, I came. I went with God knows what I was thinking, but I went up to the BBC with an idea for a series, having never made a documentary. And I remember wearing this absolutely ridiculous suit. I, I got panicked and I had a suit I bought from Armani, a white trouser suit. And I looked like a little man in Fantasy Island. I, don't, I mean, it was completely... <laughs> um, but anyway, a year later, they commissioned a series. And I started making documentaries about Che Guevara and Mick Jagger mm. and Muhammad Ali and things. So... Um, about 20 years is your original question, isn't it? Well, I, actually, I, I feel that was a rude question because I meant uh, an impolite question, at least. I shouldn't ask you how many years, but I wasn't sure because, um, um, uh, or more of when you got into documentary, because I think it's, uh, I mean, to be perfectly frank, if you go to IMDb, they don't necessarily show all your, uh, your no, back catalog. So it's, no, uh, no. Uh, but uh, but what is interesting is the more, in terms of the more recent stuff is, uh, so you've had this Ali film, you have this uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar film, which were very sports, uh, American Muslim themed, I guess, even a bit, uh, given their, both those individuals' backgrounds. So was this, a, not to focus on that, but a very individually, individual focused, but uh, was this a bit of a departure for you to to do something on, on something like the space station? Well, I, I agree, because the film I made before the space station was about uh, Primal Scream, the band. So we, I took him mm. back, we went back to Memphis where they did some original court recordings. Uh, and that's that was something for the BBC. So the space station was the first time anybody asked me to make a film about a thing, as it were, as opposed yeah. to people. But I, I somehow made it about the people. <laughs> I reverted back to, well, you know, it's really about humanity. It, it, the space station, in a way, because there's so many fantastic films about the space station, the science and engineering. You know, mm. there's one narrated by Tom Cruise, which is great and everything. Yeah. But, but this is really, the space station, in a way, is irrelevant. It's just using that as a foil to show the potential of man, I think. Exactly. And I think that's what uh, I think you have some quotes in there as well, you know, titles that basically, uh, um, I mean, talks about what what we can all achieve if we put our mind to it, basically. Not that we're all destined to be astronauts or cosmonauts, far from it. I, I like you, I think would go crazy. I, 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 I nearly uh, fell off my chair when I... Uh, <laughs> When I saw those scenes of the of the spacewalks, I mean that would just I, I would pass out. I think, but uh, um, no, I thought I thought that was very interesting and very poignant uh, about, uh, like you said, the the humanity of this, um, which raises a point. I mean, you've, as you said, you've you, you you took a gamble, you pitched a story to the BBC, and sort of the rest is history. What is what is the key to getting not so much getting films. Because, uh, uh, you know, we got a lot of people who listen to this who are trying to get films commissioned. So it's not so much the key to getting films commissioned, but how, what is it that makes a film, you know, that that makes the film basically, makes it interest not just interesting, but, uh, and I hate to use the word successful. That's not, because that's a bit, um, 
convoluted, but I mean, what is uh, what makes a good documentary in your mind? Well, I mean, I, I not I don't even know if I make good documentaries. All I can say about what I I do in my films, well, I didn't even know I did, but people feel quite emotional after them. I mean, I don't mm. know whether that's because of the music or because of the way it's edited or because of the story. So I think what makes a good documentary is if you actually believe the people in it. And mm. so when I interviewed the astronauts, um, because they think, oh my God, this woman knows so little about space or whatever, you know, there's no, it, it, they were quite relaxed. Mm. Um, and they, you have a rapport with them and they trust you. And I have a duty of care in my in my own head to, to portray them in a you know a truthful light. I don't want to. I'm not one of those sort of directors that would stitch someone up in that sense. Um, you know, just to get a more interesting angle or something. Yeah. I think it's you've got to feel it's truthful. That's the key. You know, I watch documentaries that I. You know, the best ones for me is when you really sort of somebody talking in the interviews really touches a nerve with you. Whatever mm. the subject. Yeah. And with that in mind, what's next for you? Ah, we see. <laughs> and and most people, and I'll, I'll cut in there because most people, most filmmakers jump, just immediately say, well, I'm not allowed to say or I'm not at liberty. But uh... no, I'm not at liberty to say, but actually, what I'd like more than anything is to have like a week off or something. No, um, I have got, I always have ideas in my head. Uh, making my son sound like June of Arc. But no, I always have some film ideas in my head and I, I there is something I am going to be working on, but I, I am not at liberty to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will be on the lookout for it re regardless. And um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on to the, uh, the podcast. It was a joy meeting you and to talk about this great film that you've made that uh, I highly recommend, uh, the wonderful Stories from the Space Station, uh, which was released earlier this month on most digital platforms here in uh, September 2021. Uh, so, Claire, thank you again. And if I haven't uh, scared you off with all our technical glitches and things, uh, we'd love to have you again on the on the podcast when, you, uh, when your next uh, project's out. Well, thank you very much for, for your support and, and, you know, and for your listeners. And I, I will promise I will play to my strengths and make a film I know nothing about. <laughs> like I knew nothing about boxing. I knew nothing about I mean now I could do I could go on a quiz show about space. Well, maybe we'll be on the lookout for that as well. And uh really really did uh did in, did enjoy the film and uh it's in the cinema though. It really is. It will well I'm going to try to get it up on a, I watched it on a laptop unfortunately oh, no. but I, because yeah. it's it's designed for the cinema so it's got yeah. the sound it has to be in a big theater really. We don't have a home entertainment system like some people do, certainly like a lot of my compatriots, but uh, we do, uh, I am going to get it on a bigger screen so my uh, children can watch it because it definitely needs to be in HD and uh, and, all, and all that. But uh, no, I thought, uh, oh, I probably should have mentioned even, I think one thing that struck me is that I kept think, felt like I was watching a, a feature narrative in many ways. I mean, I know there's, you know, it was just the sort of the, as you said, it's probably that quality of the, aimed at the big screen i always see i always sort of like to punch above my weight as it were uh and and i've got this fantastic cinematographer stuart luck so he um we we approach each scene as if it, we're making a movie really
rather than a documentary. Well, well I think it comes across uh, loud and clear. So, um, so thanks again. All right, thanks. Take care. Bye now. Also want to give a big shout out to Sam and Joe at Intersound Audio in Eskrick, England, just outside of York. A big thanks to Nevena Paunovic, our podcast manager at Alamo Pictures, who ensures we continue getting such great guests like Claire onto the show. Finally, a big thanks to our listeners. As always, we love to hear from you, so please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas, whether it is on YouTube, social media, or directly by email. And please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family, wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Alamo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.